2: line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSN, the sports betting network.
3: What's going on, everybody? This is the Lombardi Line presented by DraftKings, alongside Michael Lombardi, Stormy Bonn and Tony with you. It's Conference Championship Week. We're locked and loaded with our approaches to each of those <laughs> games. We've also got the coaching carousel, which continues to spin. And Michael, where I want to start off today, despite this being an NFL show, huge weekend yeah. in the National Football League. We got to talk about your yes. boy, the big man, Joel Embiid, puts up seventy last night. I knew night. we were
4: going to do this. I knew we were going to I need to do make you it. smile was, to start
3: the show sometimes, Michael.
4: You know, I I actually what what gave me the most pleasure was reading his quotes after the game about how, you know, he when they booed Daniel House for taking the three-pointer and everybody wanted him to get to the record, how kind of what he said afterwards. I kind of was a huge giant mother may I step forward for him. So Look, no one's going to deny the guy's talent. I think what Stan Van Gundy said, I'll stand by it. I agree with him. If he plays in the postseason like he plays yeah. in the regular season, I'm going to be happy. Look, I'm really happy with Nick Nurse. I'm not complaining about him. And so it really comes down to can he stay? I hate to sound like one of the. I hate to sound like Big Daddy and say <laughs> we'll see, which is his favorite commentary. We'll see. We'll see. But we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see where this goes. And, you know, I I do think that they are a better team with Nick Nurse. And it's everybody seems to think, Stormy, that the Kyle Lowry trade to Charlotte when he gets bought out by the Hornets, he's got one year left on his deal, that perhaps maybe he could be coming to Philadelphia mm. in a trade or maybe just a, a mid-level exemption or something like that. So we shall, once again, we'll see.
3: Yeah, what might they do when we get to that point? But I totally agree. It's okay, show me in the conference. Finals. Show me in the NBA Finals. Like, that's when we need to see it. We need you to get to that point first and foremost. But very, very cool, especially considering that 70 points comes on the anniversary of Kobe's historic 81-point game. Carl Anthony Towns had a big day yesterday, too. But the reason that I wanted to open up this way, Michael, is because yeah. I think of Philadelphia, and I think of the people in that town, and I think yeah. of what they're going through right now with the questions about their the head coach firing yeah. both of their coordinators yeah. Yeah. and interviewing Rob on Rivera, yeah. Michael. So, I mean, something needs to make these the people happy. Meter. Yes, exactly. I,
4: I think, let, let, me, let me try to explain to Wawa and maybe cheer up some people as they Please. pour their coffee, why Rivera's on their list. I think they feel like there is a sense of, of their head coach is a little bit of an, of an emotional roller coaster on Sundays. And I think they want to surround him with with obviously the right staff, but also a calming influence. Because one of the things you knew about Nick when he before he left Indianapolis was he was hot tempered. He kind of could fly off the handle. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. It's a typical Italian trait, okay? I hate to stereotype, but it is. So I'm Italian. I'm I am gonna say to are you it. are you looking so, internally
3: there, Michael? No. <laughs>
4: No, I, I, I'm, I'm the least fly-off-the-handle person of all, you know. I, I think I'm more Northern Italian than Southern Italian. But anyway, I, I, my sense of it is is they want the Rivera thing is kind of how do we, how do we match this with it? It's going to be fascinating what they do with the offense coordinator because Seriani never called plays in Indianapolis. And when he came to Philly, he called plays. And then he was very emotional. And they, they kind of, whether it's his idea or the front office's, they then morphed in the, uh, the play calling over to Shane Steichen. So this offensive coordinator hire is going to be fascinating along with the defensive coordinator hire. Look, it's going to be two critical, critical hires. And they're going to have to comply with the Rooney rule. They're going to have to br- have two in-person interviews. They're going to have to do everything to find the right person. I'm not quite sure where that person is right now. It, would it be Cliff Kingsbury, who kind of runs this? That was the name that came to mind. Mike Zimmer, Don Martindale is a defensive coordinator. I can't imagine Rivera yeah. can go in there and sell himself as a defensive coordinator after all these years of being a head coach.
3: Well, yeah, that's the thing. He hasn't been a D.C. since, what was it, 2010 now? It's been more than a decade. It's been that long, and you're coming off of a season two where – your defense was so bad that you had to fire your defensive coordinator. And then even as you take over those defensive play calling duties, you're still 32nd in points allowed and (laughs) yards allowed per game. So I don't like personality aside, I'm not necessarily sure that's what you want to bring in when your head coach was a defensive guy and your defense collapsed the majority of the year. Um, But again, for anybody who missed it, it appears Sean Desai, Matt Patricia and Brian Johnson all gone in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, it appears former Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan looks to be the new head man in Tennessee. What did you make when you first heard that?
4: My first reaction is, look, I've known Brian since he was a kid, you know, and I'm happy for the Callahan family, Valerie and Bill, his parents, wonderful people was with them in Philadelphia, and them spent years with them in in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And Bill was kind of got a really a raw deal as the head coach of the Raiders. It took us to a Super Bowl, got fired the next year, never got his contract extended even after going to the Super Bowl. So, uh, I got great respect for him, and I'm i wish Brian nothing nothing but the best. My first reaction was simply this: uh, they're doubling down on 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 Will Levis. Like there are, they believe Levis could be the guy, or else why would you hire an offensive play caller? Right. So you know they lost a, st- a strategist in Mike Vrabel. They've h- now hired a, a, a tactician somebody who's going to implement an offense and call the game, and he's already admitted they're going. he's going to run the offense. So to me, that's an interesting situation. I think Brian's got some big shoes to fill, but the partnership between him and Rand Carthon obviously is going to be one that's centered around Will Levis. Now, they, they could say they're going to look, but I have a feeling they think Levis could be the guy just based on what Amy – Amy Adams said at her press conference when she fired Mike Vrabel that they have a bright young quarterback. And this move signals to me they're going down that road.
3: Yeah, and believe that he's a quarterback developer, which is something that Will Levis needs. Um, He's been with Joe Burrow since day one in Cincinnati. Of course, for anybody who doesn't know much of his resume going through it, Uh, Broncos assistant during Peyton Manning's last three season with the Broncos. Matthew Stafford was his position coach for two years when he had a couple of 4,000 yard seasons. He was Derek Carr's coach with the Raiders in 2018, which was his first 4,000 yard season. And of course, we saw what he did this year with Joe Burrow unavailable and Jake Browning stepping up and doing a really, really good job maneuvering that offense. So that's interesting. And because you bring up his dad, Bill, an offensive line guru with the Cleveland Browns, we know how good that unit is. He's talked a lot about a dream of his being to coach with his dad, do you think that could be a hire on this Tennessee Titans staff?
4: Well, I think it would be one of the biggest weaknesses that Brian walks into in this this Tennessee Titan team is their offensive line play. And so that would be a huge move. And it would have to come from the Browns saying to him, we'll let you talk. Because it would, you know, by league rules, with his contract not being up, he's not allowed to do that. So, uh, for me, I, I think it's really going to come down to if Bill walks into, you know, the, the, the Paul D. Podesto's offense, Andrew Barry's offense, and Kevin Stefanski's office, and says, look, I want to go work with my kid. Yeah. You know, will you let me out? They have to have a replacement there that they feel is of the same quality or Bill or else they're just going to say, hey, you know, you got a contract.
3: Yeah, and, and that would be a huge loss. But I also kind of think like the human huge. side of it, the human side of it, though, that would you'd let him go, right? I, I would just think that you would let him go, go coach for his kid.
4: I think you would. Let, I would say this to him. I said, look, I completely understand. But give us, give us a couple of days to figure out how we sure. could replace you. Because he's part of the strength and the, of the team. Mm. I mean, that's a huge loss. Look at, look at the Patriots losing Dante Scarnecchi." I mean, they have yet to overcome that. Now, you know, Gooch came in for two years, won a Super Bowl. Dante came back. That helped. But these these line coaches, look, the Eagles never let their line coach out, no matter who's the coach, whether it's Peterson, whether it's whether it's Seriani. When you get a great line coach, you're not letting them go yeah. because he coaches five guys that are really important to the overall infrastructure of any offensive team. They're worth their weight in gold. Plus, they have to develop players. So this is a challenge, and if they have somebody that they like that's available, I could see them doing it, yes.
3: Well, and like you think about that Cleveland Browns unit this year, they lost both of their offensive tackles. They didn't have their star running back, had to protect five different quarterbacks this year, and they were still a top eight unit. So I think that says yeah. a lot about what he did with them for sure. And, and, Michael, I know we have a lot of other news items that we have to hit today, but I got to admit I went down a Bill Callahan rabbit hole um, last night looking at Raiders stuff and I have to know did he really change the game plan the Friday before the Super Bowl that year? I have to know
4: No, I. I you know look, we the problem with that Super Bowl was we, we were on the one week basis, right? So it was the only Super Bowl, I think maybe there's one other one where we didn't have the two week bye and we came out with the idea we were going to run the ball but, but this whole Barrett Robbins thing, he was never going to play in the game. Adam mm-hmm. True was always going to play and so there's a little bit of mythology to that. And, and you know, we had a hard time blocking them. And we were old and slow. And we needed another week off. We had too many guys, too many older players that really weren't ready to play. And we were slow. And even though we got the early turnover, we never could match their speed. So... We had talked about it, but then we got behind in the game. So, look, uh, so much was made of that. I think Bill did an incredible job. Mark Trestman is the offense coordinator, did a great job. Aaron Cromer, the line coach. But we, we, got, into a, we got into a storm that we couldn't fix, and that storm was the, that, that Buccaneer defense.
3: Okay, I I just I had to ask. I ended up reading so many articles last night that this is me whenever we get breaking news. I feel like I end up seeing one thing that interests me and I just go down this completely opposite path I and forget it. what I was looking up to begin with. Um, that's great. We have plenty more news when it comes to coaching and GM changes. The Carolina Panthers, it appears, found their wow. Man, the first domino has come there with, uh, with Dan Morgan getting hired. So we'll discuss that and a whole lot more. We have to hit the break here. It's also, once again, conference championship weekend. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I did already place my first teaser bet of the week. Have no fear. We'll get that out there. We'll be right back on the Lombardi line, guys. We're just getting started.
2: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy Bonatone, on vSEN, the sports betting network.
3: Start your morning with a daily dose of winning strategies, insider tips, and the latest buzz with the free v daily newsletter. In today's newsletter, our guy Bill 80 speaks with Sportsbook Director for DraftKings Johnny Avello about the early line movement we're seeing in this year's conference championship matchups. You'll get that plus all expert analysis and the latest odds delivered straight to your inbox absolutely free every single day. v slash newsletter to subscribe and we'll get into plenty of our thoughts on those games coming up in just a little bit. But more news when it comes to big picks Sure, in the National Football League, it appears Michael, the Carolina Panthers, who had a league worst two and fifteen season, completed the first step in their rebuilding process. They hire internally former assistant GM Dan Morgan to be their general manager and president of football operations. What was your reaction to the news coming through yesterday?
4: I I guess Dan wasn't part of the team this year. Did he take a sabbatical? (laughs) Like, I mean, did he did he not? Wasn't he in the room? Like. All the decisions that they made, he had to be instrumental in a lot of them. And Scott got fired, Scott Federer mm-hmm. got fired, and Dan got promoted. Only in the NFL could this happen. Look, I don't know Dan that well. I've been around them. I spoke to their, uh, I, I spoke to their retreat two years ago. Uh, he's been a pro personnel guy, former player in the league. But to me, this doesn't really send a reinforced message if you're a Carolina Panther fan that things are changing down there. Because Dan was part of the the selection, the building of the team, the hiring of Frank Wright. Now, maybe he was the only one who said no, no, no. And if that's the case, then he probably deserves to get the job. But to me, it's a little bit when you hire an outside firm to search for candidates and you hire the inside guy, seems a little strange.
3: That was my first thought as well, because you just fired somebody that he's been in the room with this entire time. But... To your point, if he has been the dissenting opinion and just didn't really get the chance to voice that because he's not the final say guy, then sure, I think that it's fine. But I also worry after everything that we saw over the past handful of years and the Panthers not having a winning season under David Tepper to this point, is he just a, another yes man? Is he just gonna be another yes man that whatever the owner says goes, I think that's just gonna be nothing but a step back.
4: I don't know how you couldn't think he is. Like, I don't I don't see how you couldn't think he is. Like. Because how did he get the job? Like, I don't understand. Like, what track record indicated that he got the job? Was it his pro personnel acumen in Buffalo? I mean, he was working for Federer. Like, what did he do to turn this team around that you would say, okay, I think we should hire him. I think we should hire him. But, you know, that's the NFL. Look, I think – We we talked about this pre-show. I think all you need to know about the NFL, you know, is the NFL is about saving your desk, guard your desk. It should be the title of my next book. You know, protect your desk. When you have Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel, and Bill Belichick going through the interview circuit like they're the first-time head coaches, you, you have to wonder how serious your team is to winning. You really do. You have to wonder, are we really committed to winning and it harkens back to when Walsh told me we're only competing against eight teams when the league was 28. I, I, I really believe it's, it's really less than eight now. I think a lot of teams say they want to win, but I think a lot of teams aren't really competing to win. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of that, and there's a little bit of, you're going to make money no matter what you do. I mean, did you see the Patriots payroll over the last five years? They're in the bottom, thir- they, they were 31st or 30th in the payroll over the last five years. Now, You know, why is that? I don't know. I don't know why that is, but they, you know, they've made a lot of money. And when you're in the bottom, like Chicago was and New England is, the owner's making tons of money. And are you really committed to winning? Whereas the Browns this year, they were the highest paid. They were the highest. They paid the most money. They got their money out of it.
3: I was going to say, speaking to that, while we're on the Patriots, what did you make of some of those comments of Gerard Mayo this week on the radio? Basically talking about Patriots are going to back up the brink, the Brinks truck and pay guys to bring in talent. Here, Here's the soundbite we have of Mayo.
1: The cash spending is a big fixation of mine. 31st last year, 27th three years prior. Have you been given assurances by Robert or others that you guys will have the freedom to spend this offseason to bring in talent and free agency? We're
4: bringing in talent 1,000%. So have a lot of cap space. Love it. And cash.
2: Yeah. Ready to burn some cash. Okay. <laughs> All, right, guys. All right. T That's Higgins good. would be nice. <laughs> I do
3: I do like the way he said that though. We're ready to burn some cash. The Pats have a projected $65 million in salary cap space.
4: Well, I mean, you know, but but Mayo's not going to be the one to do the contracts, nor is Mayo gonna put the dollar sign on the player. So it's easy to say you're going to burn cash. Who's going to value the player? That's either going to come from Matt Groh, Elliot Wolf. Is it coming from Jonathan Kraft? Robin Glazer, who's also intimately involved with the front office there now? I think there's a lot to be decided here, you know, and, and why they didn't spend in the past. Look, the, the one thing about the Patriots is their payroll in terms of player spending is documented. You can find it online. Their payroll in terms of coaching spending is documented. You can find that online. So... Uh, I think to me, you know, Mayo's got to make the right choices. And who's helping them make those choices? Who are they valuing and what do they value? I think that's going to be the critical thing. Everybody spends... You can misspend, too, and they have done that in the past. The year they signed those free agents, whether it's Jonu Smith and Aguilar, who really didn't pan out for them. You know, Judon did. Hunter Henry did. You know, they they, they were able to get a few of those guys to come through. But for the most part, you know, if you're out there spending in free agency, you're overspending.
3: And for, like, whatever you want to put out there, at the end of the day, I just care about the Patriots having a quarterback. Like, what are you going to do to fix that position, first and foremost?
4: I think that – and, and I mean, he's made that abundantly clear that he is going to uh, that they're going to draft one. I think they're definitely going to spend time drafting one, and you can just feel the energy that's going around now. That you know, Jaden Daniels is moving way up the list here. You mm-hmm. can just feel the energy that he's accumulating, and I can tell you this: the he's on the Raiders' radar really quick because Pierce coached him at Ohio, Arizona State, so there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in him. It's going to be a fascinating. Once the Super Bowl is over, it's going to be fascinating handicapping where these quarterbacks are going to go.
3: Yep, New England currently sitting third in that official 2024 NFL draft order. And the order, as far as young QBs goes, most of the talk has been that it's Caleb Williams top tier, then Drake May, then Jaden Daniels. But we had Booger McFarland on the show earlier this week. And granted, he might be a little bit biased with that LSU background. But he said for him, like Jaden Daniels is the second guy for him.
4: I think there's some truth. I think there is, and I think people are worried about. You know, he's going to have to go. to The com- it's a little bit like how much do you weigh? What does his body look like? Look, we got the Senior Bowl. Been. We're going to see some of these guys work out. Bo Nix is down there at the Senior Bowl, so it'll be good. It'll be a good op- atmosphere to see the players play and, and how they handle it all.
3: Meanwhile, uh, former Patriots head coach Bill Belichick has been going through the interview process. And I don't even want to call it an interview when it comes to Belichick. It's more just a conversation. Like, here's what I can do. Here's what we want to have done. And do we agree? Like, that's more what it is for these two versus interviews of these young head coaching candidates. But also, uh, Ian Rappaport reporting the Falcons have requested a second interview with current Ravens DC Mike McDonald for their head coaching vacancy. Michael.
4: Yeah. Now, look, you know, once they do this, right, I'm not sure. So this puts their head coaching hiring off. If they wait for, they also put it in for Anthony Weaver. If they yes. wait for Weaver, and and if they wait for uh, McDonald, that puts them. Do they can they interview during the bye week? I, I'm not sure. I think they can, but I'm not positive. If they can't and they have to wait till after the Super Bowl, then this head coaching hiring is going to go a long, long time, and it's going to give, you know, the people in the Atlanta building time to decide if they want to. You you want to wait or do you want to go and hire a coach?
3: So from what I understand, they can. They just have to get through the NFC and AFC championship weekend because the Panthers um, were also scheduled to to interview a few people. Lions OC Ben Johnson, who has been such a high level candidate in their view um, as one. And they said they couldn't interview him until after this weekend. So I believe that Pro Bowl week it's on the table.
4: Yeah. And now we just got a report from Mike Garofalo that that and this is going to be what we're going to hear pretty much that there's striking distance between Harbaugh and the Chargers. So we'll see okay. how that kind of what that means. I don't know. Does striking distance mean we're close to a deal? I don't know. But they're reporting that it is striking distance.
3: Well, and when we had Albert Breer, NFL insider, on the program yesterday, you asked him which is the, the next domino to fall in terms of head coaches. And he said he felt that it was going to be whatever it was with Jim Harbaugh. Um, and, and we've talked about it a lot, too. It seems like the Chargers make a whole lot of sense for him, especially with what transpired yep. off of the field this past season at Michigan.
4: No question. It makes a lot of sense for them because, look, you've got two Hall of Fame coaches and Sean Payton and Andy Reid looking you right down the, 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 the threshold. You better match wits with them. That's why I think this staff where Antonio Pierce, is so critical. It's so critical because this is going to be – look, when you study these four teams that are in the playoffs, that are in the Final Four, which is really important to do, That you can, Dan Campbell's the leader, but he's got good coordinators that have helped him. I think that's going to be the key for Pierce, too.
3: Yeah, no question. Well, let's talk about those four teams remaining when we come back here on the program. We have seen a little bit of line movement. Kansas City, pretty solid all of a sudden at that three and a half in Baltimore, total 44 and a half. And we're sitting pretty at a full seven with San Francisco hosting the Lions, total 51. We'll preview both of those games and a whole lot more when we come back here on the Lombardi line. Stay with us.
2: Former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on vSAN, the sports betting network.
3: We are rolling along here on the Lombardi line presented by DraftKings. Thanks for hanging out with us on v the Sports Betting Network, as well as welcoming in our DraftKings Network audience. Alongside Michael Lombardi, Stormy Bond, and Tony with you. Lots to cover as it pertains to Conference Championship Weekend, two great games ahead on Sunday. And to help us dive in specifically to the San Francisco 49ers matchup, we bring in the one and only Matt Mayoko, 49ers insider. You can catch him on NBC Sports Bay Area. Been covering the team for years. And Matt, as the San Francisco Francisco 49er fan I have 8,000 questions for you so we're going to see what we can fit into I'll, I'll 11 minutes. I'll step
4: aside Stormy you just I'll step aside you just go after it Stormy <laughs> tell him. Well I I
5: think Michael I think it's probably good that Stormy's heart rate is probably back to normal I, I was afraid we we're gonna yeah. lose her on Saturday night.
4: Oh there's yeah there's no question you. I was in I was very worried about her because every time I say their defense isn't playing as well, I can feel her cringe over there on the other side. (laughs) And it, it breaks my heart to do it, but I just try to say it.
3: Well, here's the thing, Matt. The number of times that Michael brought up with me last week that the 49ers went trailing <laughs> by five or more points in the fourth yeah. quarter were 0 for 30, that, you know, that didn't make me feel great entering the fourth quarter no. of that game against Green Bay. But you no, tell me. No, I
5: noticed they put, the, I noticed they flashed that up on the screen right as yeah. the fourth quarter was starting too.
3: Didn't make me feel great. But but listen, you tell me, because you're around these players all the time. You know their personality. How are they taking in a win like that? Like, are they in the locker room saying, wow, we really dodged a bullet. This is a wake up call type of a game. Let's push it forward. Or is it one where they're kind of calm and collected and feeling confident that they handled business on that final drive the way that really good teams do? How have they taken this in?
5: Well, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, one of the, the kind of the themes that emerged after the game a lot of different guys, including Christian McCaffrey, were talking about how that was a character win. That uh, they they were challenged. They they did not play well. The Forty did not play well in any phase of the game. But kind of the crazy part of it was that every phase of the game made at least one play that they could not have won the game without. And so it's for them to. Uh, it seemed like it had been, you know, two months since they had last played a, a game. And in fact, the Packers had three wins since the 49ers last experienced a victory. So, you know, Packers were coming in hot. Um, I don't think there was any kind of like underestimating the Packers, but it certainly looked like the 49ers were a little bit rusty. Uh, what, what is certain is they weren't sharp. And I think they feel like, you know, they won one of those. Grimy, gritty types of games that they haven't been able to win in the past, or at least they haven't won this season. So they kind of pushed through it. They got the win, but let's face it, they are going to have to play a heck of a lot better to get past the Lions because. You know, most teams, whenever you don't play your A game in the postseason, you're packing your bags and you're going home and you're making vacation plans. The 49ers, I think, are fortunate to be playing another week.
4: Matt, let's start defensively. I mean, I know everybody blames Brock Purdy when anything goes wrong in San Francisco. There's no objectivity when it comes to evaluating the poor player, but. What's the feeling in the building about why this defense isn't really, when you look at them numerically, isn't coming at the same level, and they've added Hargrave, they've added Chase Young. like You would expect them to take over games, and they haven't done it as far as I've seen it the second half of the season.
5: I would agree with you. I, I think that the pass rush should be a lot better than it is. It should be more disruptive. The run defense should be better, and I think a lot of it, Early on, or you know, the last month, people pointed to well, they don't have Eric Armstead in the middle. After the game against Philadelphia, Armstead exited the lineup with foot and knee issues, and he could have come back Week 18 if they needed him. But they decided, you know, they didn't need him because they already had the number one seed wrapped up. But I think a lot of people thought that that would be kind of the the, the antidote, where okay, Armstead's back, he ties up the middle. It's going to be tough to run between the tackles with him alongside Javon Hargrave. He'll bring a little bit more juice to the pass rush but that didn't happen. You know, the run defense hasn't been good. Uh the pass rush has been very inconsistent, uh, bordering on not good as well. They didn't have any sacks and and Nick Bosa though, he did Bosa did have an impact. You know, even though he didn't have any sacks. I think he had five hits on the quarterback and And he was the one chasing Jordan Love as he threw that ill-advised pass across his body to the middle of the field that Dre Greenlaw picked off to to end the game. But, you know, I think we could probably go through just about every aspect of this team and point to an area where they must improve to finish the job. But I I agree with you, Michael. I mean, the run defense, the the pass defense, it all has to get better um, or else, They're going to have, uh, you know, there's going to be a party in in Detroit uh, Sunday night at the 49ers play like they did against the Packers.
3: When it comes to the pass defense, a colleague of ours, uh, Mike Pritchard here at VEASAN, he was saying Highway 20 is going to be open ahead of the Packers yep. game. And boy was it, just target Ambry Thomas and get the PI call. That was driving me personally insane for the game. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about the offense because a big question obviously this week is the health of Debo Samuel. And we know the impact that he has had on that offense when he's been available and when he's not. What's the latest from your understanding? and? the difference of this offense with or without him?
5: Well, it's, it's pretty noticeable. I mean, it, you know, they have, game, you know, they game plan for certain ways to get Debo Samuel the ball and different ways to use him and lining him, him up all over the formation, including in the backfield. In fact, I don't know if you remember, well, I'm sure you do stormy, the, the very first play of the third quarter, uh, 49ers get the opening the kickoff to open the second half. Um, and the first play was a running play to Juwan Jennings that left everybody scratching their head. Well, that was just a complete mix-up where the play call went in with the wrong wristband, and because Juwan Jennings was in Debo Samuel's position, he's the one who lined up in the backfield and and took the handoff. So it was a complete mix-up, but that's the kind of things that happen Mm -hmm. when Debo Samuel is not out there. So my understanding is, it's not a fractured shoulder. He had a hairline fracture back in week six, and he missed the second half of that game against the Browns. Then the two next games, they had a bye week, and then he was back. And the Fort hours went on a six-game winning streak with Debo Samuel playing a large role in that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would be very surprised, I think, if there's nothing like structurally wrong that can't be worsened. I guess it, it can be worsened. But if there's no fracture... I mean, I think Devo Samuel plays. And I don't know what what they have to do to to get him ready, to get out there. I know he was still extraordinarily sore yesterday. They're hoping to get him on the practice field. They're hoping to to have a better idea Wednesday, Thursday, Friday when the 49ers practice today, they're off. But, I mean, I would think because the the X-ray came back negative that he he will find a way to be on the field Sunday evening.
4: Matt, I have just read that both that the Forty ers have two of their offensive coaches are going to interview for the offensive coordinator job down in New Orleans. Is that yeah. happening this week, or will they wait till next week?
5: I think it already happened. My my, oh. my impression impression is that, uh, that maybe that's already happened, um, and so yeah. So you're talking about Clint Kubiak. And also Brian Greasy, two guys who aren't coordinators. One's quarterback coach, Brian Greasy, second year with the team. Clint Kubiak has been an offensive coordinator with Minnesota and with Denver. He's uh, his title is special uh, passing game specialist. Uh, so that's my understanding that those those interviews have already happened. So I mean that's part of the deal. You know that every team I think you know the Lions have had assistant coaches interviewing both of their coordinators are up for for head coaching jobs. So, I mean, you, you know, as well as anyone, Michael, it's, it's all part of the, the thing this time of season. And I think honestly, I think some coaches, it distracts them. Others are able to, to manage it pretty well and and do their duties while also, you know, kind of having their mind somewhere else. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation, but yeah, my guess is without, without knowing this, but I would think that every team remaining is in a similar situation with either uh, coaches looking elsewhere or being courted elsewhere for either head coaching opportunities or offensive coordinator jobs.
3: Well, and speaking of distractions, uh, a headline that kind of went under the radar throughout the week was the Brock Purdy comments to ESPN about Kyle Shanahan wanting to bring in Tom Brady this past offseason. It only started making the rounds over the last 24 hours. What did you make of, of that report and what it could mean for Brock Purdy potentially moving forward?
5: Uh, yeah, I don't think it means anything for Brock okay. Purdy moving forward. Good. I think what it what it meant was you know, last year it was basically like Hey, look, Brock. It's your job, unless unless Miss America, you know, shows up at our doorstep. Yeah, I, I think that that's <laughs> the way it was. You know, I mean, I think you know the Forty have had opportunities in the past, you know, to get Tom Brady, um, and I think they regret every previous opportunity they had to get him. And remember, I think you know when those comments were made, when, when Kyle Shanahan, who is is brutally honest, I mean, that's why his players really like playing for him, is he will tell them exactly what's going on. I believe when those comments were made from Shanahan to Purdy, Purdy had not even had his surgery yet. So there was no indication of, of how that elbow surgery was going to come out. Uh, at that point, the 49ers weren't even certain he'd be ready for the start of the regular season, but as it turned out, he got cleared before the first day of training camp, and, and then we saw how he, he played once he got on the field uh, during the season, but I, yeah, I, I, the, the, way, the way I read it was that, hey, look, you're the guy unless something crazy happens. So I think it was more more or less Kyle Shanahan kind of covering his bases just to let him know where he stood. And and it was almost kind of a a vote of confidence.
3: This was great. Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate you, Matt.
4: Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Thank you.
3: That's Matt Mayoko doing great stuff with NBC Sports Bay Area. Been covering the Niners forever. And I think that nugget that he said about Debo Samuel, he thinks with there not being structural damage, he will play is significant. We got plenty more coming up here on the Lombardi Line.